Well, as we open our Bibles now, let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, what a pleasure it is to open these books that we have and to read about you. And uh, many of us have been around here for many years, and over the years we've learned a lot. But uh, we never cease to learn. There's always more. There, we can always go deeper. So help us to do that today, Father, as we uh, open our Bibles. We know that the Holy Spirit is going to give us the ability to really take in and drink in the things that we read and make them a part of us. So again, we ask your help here now as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start off here in Mark chapter 14. So if you'll turn theirs, there to get started. You know, over the past three weeks or so, uh, I've been preaching to you, as I will today, from some of the lessons Mary and I have been learning over the past month. And uh, so in a sense, I'm preaching to myself as I give you this message today. And uh, two weeks ago, we had a message on how God gives us faith in time of need, and he really does. He helps us when we're going through difficult times, and he gives us more faith. I remember when uh, he was talking to Peter, and uh, he told Peter that uh, Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. And he went on to say to Peter that he was praying for Peter's faith. And in desperate times, Jesus prays for our faith. And that's something that's very encouraging. Also, last week, we talked about how, let's see if uh, I can uh, not have a, a senior moment here. We talked about how sometimes we pray for things and we don't get the answer that we request, but God reminds us that he has given us a greater gift than the one that we asked for. And we talked about last time how that greater gift is salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And we recounted how Paul prayed for a thorn in the flesh to be removed, whatever it was that he was suffering. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, I'm not going to remove this thing that's really bugging you and troubling you right now. But don't forget that I've already given you a much greater gift, a, a gift that you're going to have for all eternity, not just for the rest of your life. And today I want to talk about uh, a subject having to do with will. The title is the, of this sermon is God's will versus my will. And I'm not just talking about my personal will, I am, but you could plug your will into it as well. Because a lot of times we pray to God, and one of the, the major things that we pray about is having our will satisfied. We have something in mind that we would like God to do for us. We have a blessing that we would like him to bestow on us. Maybe it's healing, maybe it's a new job, maybe it's somebody that you can get married to. Uh, whatever the case may be. We always bring our will before God and, and ask him to kind of satisfy our will. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he doesn't. And he has his reasons for saying no sometimes or saying, well, not yet sometimes. And we have to be careful that we look to God's will and place his will over our own will. 
Notice the story here of Jesus in Mark chapter 14. We'll begin in verse 32. This is the story, of course, as we approach Jesus' death on the cross and this really dramatic moment that the gospel writer shares here of Jesus' conversation in the garden with his father. We'll begin reading in verse 32. Then they uh, went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So this was a very dramatic time for Jesus. He knew what was approaching. He was about to be arrested, taken, tortured, crucified. It was a very tough time for him to have to deal with. So at times like this, he made it a point to talk to his father, as we should too during difficult times in our life. Verse 33, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled, just like we get sometimes, deeply distressed and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Again, just like we feel sometimes. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And this is what he said to his father. Now notice in, in Mark, it uses the Aramaic term Abba. So when, whenever Jesus spoke to his father, this is the term that he used. And it's a very uh, emotional term. It's a term of endearment. You know, when, we, when I talked to my father, I never called him father. I called him dad. When I was little, I called him daddy. And that's what this Aramaic word Abba is. It's a term of endearment that he used. Now, we're told elsewhere in the Bible, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are allowed to use such terms when we talk to God, our Father. Now, we may not use the, word, the, the term Abba because it's an Aramaic word, a language that we don't speak, but it's okay to call our Father in heaven, Dad, or Daddy, or Papa, or whatever we might choose or feel comfortable calling him. And he appreciates that, because using terms like that is a term of endearment. And we're showing God the Father how much he means to us. So this is what Jesus prayed, verse 36. Abba, and Mark puts the translation in there that it means a term for Father. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, and by cup, that's a term that means all that he is about to have to deal with. This life experience that he's facing now, it's like it's all poured in a cup, and he's going to have to drink it and experience it. But he says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. So that was his initial will. He knew what it was going to be like to have to face this ordeal, and he is expressing his desire that, is there any other way? But now notice he says right after that, yet not what I will, but what you will. So how, how did God the Father answer Jesus' request? Well, Jesus' will was, if there's any way to avoid the suffering, the pain, the death, Let's do it, but the Father's answer was no. There is no way. 
And Jesus said, not my will, because that's what his will was, to avoid pain and suffering and death. He says, but what you will. And Jesus set an example for us here that we're always quick to go before God with our own will, with our own desires, with our own ideas of what's best for us. But sometimes God's answer is different. In other words, God's will, for whatever reasons, is different from what our will is. And that's something that, I mean, a mature Christian comes to understand that. Now, a new Christian, or somebody who's kind of one foot in Christianity, does not understand that. Mary and I were talking about this sermon last night or this morning, I forget which now, but she told me about an account she had of somebody who told her that he did not believe in God anymore. Why? Because he specifically prayed to God for something and God did not come through for him. And based on that experience, he said, I no longer believe in God. Now, that's a radical example of how people, that's human nature. You know, when we think about God, well, I'll give God a try. I've got something I really want, so I'm, I'm actually going to pray about this. I'm going to go before God in prayer and tell him what I need or what I want. And is that how we determine whether God exists or not? Whether he's going to, like a, a magic genie, we're going to rub the lamp and see if he comes through for us. And if he does, I'll believe in him. If he doesn't, forget it. That's literally how some people feel toward God today. But if you're a mature Christian, and I'm speaking to an audience here of mature Christians, you know that that's not how we approach God. That's not what God is all about. He's not the genie in the lamp. He is a living, thinking, reasoning of being who happens to be God, who happens to know a whole lot more than we do. During our time here on earth, we are to learn how to trust God and his will for us. We're not like children who are demanding our will to God, and if we don't get it, we're not going to believe in him. Let me ask you this question. Why is God's will superior to our own will or to our own desires? Well, I can give you a couple of different reasons, and we'll turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. God's will is so much higher than ours because he's God. Notice how Paul encourages the church in Rome. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world or of this society, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Notice his good pleasing, and perfect will. So why is God's will superior to ours? Because his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Ours isn't. Our will is basically self-centered. 
and selfish. We're looking out for what we want or what we think is good for us, whereas God's will is good. In other words, his will for us leads to our spiritual growth, our transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It isn't that why we're here. So his will is good. It's pleasing. It may not always be pleasing to us right away, but it's pleasing to God because he knows what's best for us and he's working out his will in our lives. Hopefully in time, we will come to see why his will was the best thing for us. It may take a while. And his will is also perfect. That means no improvement can be made on the will of God. No improvement. It's perfect. So what God allows us to go through and what God allows to happen to us is always for the best. We may not see that right away. We may be hurting. We may be upset. We may be discouraged and uh, upset, maybe mad at God when it happens. But his will is perfect. Jesus prayed for the Father's will to be done in his life. He did not seek his own will. Like I said, by contrast, our will is usually based on selfish desires, things that will please us here and now. But God has all the facts, you know. He sees more than we do. He knows all of the details of this decision or of this request that we have. How many people are so intent on winning the lottery? You know, what is the lottery right now? A hundred million dollars? I mean, the, the totals get so ridiculously high. You know, if, if we as Christians go before God and just pray fervently that we can win that lottery. Now, why, why do we want to win the lottery? Because that's our will. We picture all the fine things we can buy. We can move into a new house. We can have a garages filled with cars, all the clothing that we would ever want, the fine foods that we can eat. But wait a minute. God has all of the details. He has all of the statistics. He has all of the uh, information for a good decision. And he knows what that money would do to us. It would destroy us. So God's will is better than our own will. God knows what's best. He knows us better than we know ourselves. His concern for us not only deals with the here and now, but with the future, including eternity. Where are we going to be for eternity? And how is $100 million going to change that in our lives? Well, I think it has a good chance of destroying us, physically, spiritually, etc. So God's will is what's preferable. We may not always agree with God's will for us because we're self-centered. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5 and beginning in verse 7. Do you realize that during Jesus' life here on earth, he went through a learning process? And we must go through a learning process in our lives as well. Now, he knew what was right and wrong, and he always did what was right. He never sinned, so he didn't have that problem that we have. 
But he went through a learning process of trusting in the will of the Father in spite of going through tough times. And, you know, Jesus, when he walked this earth, he went through a lot of tough times. He was persecuted. He was ridiculed. And we know eventually he was beaten, crucified. So he went through a lot of tough times during his time on earth. We do. I don't think, comparatively speaking, to the same extent that Jesus did. But we have to learn the same lesson as we walk through this life of trusting in the will of the Father. Notice what it says here in Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one, the Father, who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So whenever we're in tough situations, whenever we're suffering, we cry out to God. Don't forget God hears. He always hears. Sometimes when we don't get our way, we think, wait a minute, where is God? Didn't he hear me? Didn't he hear what I was asking for? Yeah, he heard you. He heard you very, very well. He heard you loud and clear. Sometimes we don't listen for an answer from God. But the answer is always there. So Jesus was heard, just as we are heard. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So again, it says here in verse 8, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So sometimes we learn obedience when God's answer to us is, no, I don't think that's what's best for you. And since I love you so much, uh, sorry, you're not going to get that prayer answered the way you want. I've got something else in mind, something greater, something more important, something that is not only going to turn out to be a blessing to you, but it's going to be a blessing to others. And sometimes that answer is hard for us to take. Sometimes we pray for somebody, and it just doesn't get answered the way we we hoped it would. God has something else in mind. So Jesus was living in the same fallen world that we live in, where suffering and disappointment is an everyday occurrence. Jesus suffered rejection, ridicule, insult, pain, and death. Was the Father aware of all he endured? Absolutely. When we're suffering... And we cry out to God, and we want him to answer this prayer in such, this, such and such a way. Is God listening? Does God understand what we're going through? Absolutely. Just as with Jesus. In fact, uh, I like this verse back here in Psalm 56, verse 8. Psalm 56, verse 8. The way the psalmist words this, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, Psalm 56, verse 8. This is what the psalmist says to God. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. That's beautiful, the way that's worded there. When we're crying, when we're you know, calling out to God with all of our heart, asking him to help us in a particular way. 
God takes note of that. God not only takes note of that, we can't see him, but I'm sure he's there with his arm around us during times like that. Just trying to console us and trying to give us the strength we need to get through whatever it is we're going through at that time. God never turns his back on us. He never forsakes us. He never forgets about us. And especially when we're going through times of suffering, he's there very close to us. So he did the the same for Jesus as he did for us. He did it for his son and he does it for us. So don't think just because your will is not answered the way you request that God doesn't care about you. God is working out a tough lesson for us and we're learning. We're learning to rely on him. We're learning sometimes to say no to ourselves. You know, I don't know why that prayer wasn't answered the way I asked it, but God has his reasons. And in time, he's going to make it plain to me. I remember many times when I was a kid and I asked for something and my parents said no, and I'd throw a fit or I'd throw a tantrum or I'd go in the corner and cry. And my parents would think, well, you know, you'll get over it. Maybe when you get a little bit older, you'll understand why you weren't able to get that for us to buy that for you. We either didn't have the money or we didn't think it was best for you. And no matter how much I fussed and and fought, the answer was no. Well, sometimes it is that way with God too in our relationship with him. But you see, at a time like this, we have the faith and we have the confidence of knowing that God truly knows what's best for us. And he's not denying us because he's mad at us or angry with us or we're too great a sinner. No, he's denying it because it's for our good. And he loves us dearly. And he is the perfect parent. Turn with me now to John chapter 11. Another reason why sometimes... Our prayers are unanswered. Our will is not satisfied. God's answer may be no, is that in the long run, it's going to be to God's glory. And everything that God does is to his glory. That doesn't mean that God's self-centered. It means that he's God, and he deserves to be glorified. He deserves to be praised. And here's, here's an example that you may not think of along those lines. It's the story of Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Not only Lazarus, but his two sisters. And uh, Lazarus was very sick, sick to death, okay? And uh, the way the story goes, I won't read the whole thing. People got word to Jesus that, hey, your friend Lazarus is deathly sick. You got to come over here and heal him as fast as possible. When Jesus got the word, he did something different. He didn't rush to heal Lazarus. He paused. He waited a couple of days. And by the time Jesus finally got there, Lazarus was dead. Now, Jesus took a lot of flack for that. They said, if you had only come when we first called you, he'd still be alive today. Notice in verse 4 of John 11, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness that Lazarus had will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory 
so that God's son may be glorified through it. There was a different purpose being worked out. Now, I'm sure that his sisters prayed and prayed and prayed, God, heal Lazarus. He's, he's close to death. He needs a miracle. You got to do something now. They were pleading with God, and then Lazarus died. And they're probably praying, Father, this man is a friend of Jesus, the Messiah. You can't let him die. But Jesus said, listen, the whole purpose being worked out here is to bring glory to God. And they didn't understand what, what he meant. So he gets there, and sure enough, he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And here's a man who was dead who comes back to life. And when that happened, the people praised God, okay? The glory was to go to God, and it did. So sometimes in our lives, things don't work out exactly the way you expect them to, exactly the way you want God to do it. God has other purposes, and the main thing is to bring glory to God. Now, we've all had loved ones who have died. And we would have preferred that they didn't die, that God would have healed them. Some of them were elderly, some of them were young, but they died. And you know what? The Bible says that we're all going to die sooner or later, but nobody wants to see somebody, especially young, die. But it's to God's glory. How can that be? Well, you know what? Ever since we lost our son, we have heard so many comments from people about things that they saw him do, how encouraging he was. They loved his music. He worshiped God in his singing. He did this, he did that. He was a wonderful brother. He was a wonderful son. He was counseled people. He talked people out of uh, suicide. He encouraged people. He had friends that he talked to on a regular basis over the computer. And we've gotten so many reports about that. And you know what? Just as Lazarus was resurrected from the dead, so our son will be resurrected from the dead eventually at the return of Jesus Christ. And at that time, who will the glory go to? To God. And all of your loved ones, and all the family members you've lost, and all the, the friends you've lost, the time is coming when they will all come up in the resurrection. And we can't begin to imagine the glory that will go to God at that time. What that scene is going to look like So even in the midst of the death of Lazarus and the grief and the sorrow that ensued, I mean, Jesus was there and the people were weeping and the people were mourning. God was praised by the people when Lazarus was raised from the dead as he will be praised when we are raised ultimately from the dead. The glory goes to God. And we're, you know, we have this cut and dried idea of how God's going to answer our prayer and, and, and the step-by-step procedure of how he's going to solve this problem for us, whatever it may be. And it doesn't always work out that way. I would say in most cases, it doesn't work out that way because God's plan is better. And it may not please us or, or make us happy or jump for joy in the here and now, but eventually the time is coming when we will all jump for joy and praise God at the culmination of all things. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
God's will is so far superior to ours. And with our limited understanding and our, in our self-centeredness, we often don't understand why God sticks to his will instead of just pleasing us all the time. But as mature Christians, it doesn't, tr- it doesn't trouble our faith. Our faith is in God, and it always will be. And even though Satan might try to shake our faith, God gives us extra faith in time of need. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. I like what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica here. He says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Christians, everything that we do that is proper, that is based on faith, that is based on grace, everything that we do in our lives, as he says here, brings praise and honor to Jesus Christ. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. No matter what, what it is. And in most cases, you know, we don't glorify Jesus Christ when things are great in our life. <laughs> we most glorify God when things are bad in our lives. When we're going through trials, when we're going through persecutions, when we're going through losses... People observe us. And I told you the other week, people sometimes notice our faith. And they think, how could you survive this loss? It's not me. It's God in me. See, the praise doesn't go to me. The praise goes to God. And it's at a time like that that they start to see that, you know what? This Christianity is really something. It's a thing. You know, they're quick to cast off religion or cast off Christianity as a bunch of rubbish or silliness or a waste of time. But when the rubber hits the road, as they used to say, and you're finding yourself in in a terrible trial situation and people around you notice, okay, that, okay, somehow you're getting through this and they're wondering why. And they they put themselves, you know, so many times people say to us, if I was going through that, I'd be in a mental institution right now. I I couldn't stand it. I'd fall apart. I'd do away with myself, whatever the case may be. But they see you're getting through it, okay? Sure, it hurts. Sure, there's tears. Sure, there's a sense of loss. Sure, there's mourning. But you know what? You're getting through it. And we tell them by the grace of God. Because Christianity is a real thing. A relationship with God is a real thing. And it sure comes in handy in moments like this. That's what it's all about. And the praise goes to Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. 
according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, you know what? A lot of people may think Christianity is silliness, foolishness, a waste of time. But I'll tell you what, at, at a time like this in your life, they see that it, it is really real. And it can really help you. And it can really get you through it. And it does. And it's all about God. So one final scripture here in Romans 8. One of the most oft-quoted scriptures. A lot of people like to quote this. And uh, it makes them question God sometimes. But Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So first of all, this verse doesn't apply to everybody. <laughs> you know, somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God at all, you know, might complain and say, well, I don't know why everything's going wrong in my life. Doesn't the Bible say that everything is supposed to work for the good? Well, yeah, for those who love him, <laughs> who truly love God, it's going to work out for the good. And when it says it works out for the good, doesn't mean that all of your desires are going to be answered in the way that you want. It doesn't mean that your will is going to preside over God's will. It doesn't say that. When he says all things that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, that is going to mean that God, God's will is going to preside in our lives. That's the only way things are going to work out for the good. That's the only way in the long run that things work out for the good in each of our lives if God's will prevails. Because he's the perfect father, He's a loving God. We are his beloved children, and he wants what's best for us in the long run. And in the long run, I mean today on into eternity. God's not a God of quick fixes and, you know, quick answers to prayers so that we're happy today. Sometimes it happens. Praise God for that. But for those of us who have been around for a while, we know it doesn't always happen. So if we want all things, uh, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, including us, that means sometimes his answer is going to be no, or not right now, or you may not understand, but I've got another plan I'm working for you, and it's all about you being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, my son. God says, because that's my goal for you. That is my goal for you in this life. That you're being transformed, you're being changed from what you had been more and more into the likeness of my son, Jesus Christ. Because that's what's really going to please me, God the Father says. That's what it means for all things to work out for the good. So let's keep that in mind. We shouldn't be swept away by strong winds of doubt have doubts in our minds about God and get all into a hissy fit because God didn't answer our prayers the way we specifically stated them to him, that's not the God that we worship. 
The God that we worship is a God who has control over everything. He can do anything he wants, but he's going to limit himself to doing what's best for us, what is truly best for us, and transforming us into the likeness of his son. And if anybody's attitude needs to change, it's certainly not God's. <laughs> it's ours. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we go through, you know, a little bit of anger, a little bit of doubt, a little bit of upset with God. But you know what? His grace is going to carry us through. And sometimes you don't really get the point of this until you go through it. I mean, for years, I've taught people on how to handle trials and tribulations and relying on God. But, you know, sometimes when, when tragedy hits, you wonder, do I even really know that lesson? <laughs> Have I lived it? God says, well, here's an opportunity. So God's will must prevail in our lives. Just like Jesus set the example for us. He had his own will. I mean, he had his own desire to avoid the suffering, the pain, the crucifixion. Sure, we would have said the same thing. But he was very quick to say, but Father... Not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a tough lesson that we have to learn in this life. But Jesus Christ was very upfront in sharing this lesson that he learned with us. It's a lesson that he learned all of his life of reliance and depending on you, knowing that you knew what was best. Father, we have to learn the same lesson in this life, and we will learn it. But help us to be like Jesus, especially in this regard of total reliance and depending on you. You want what's best for us. You want what's good for us. And you will provide that for us if we will just yield to you. And help us not to get into a bad attitude or to get angry with you or to get upset or resentful or depressed. Sometimes it's hard to accept reality. But, Father, we know down deep inside that you're right. And uh, we're growing ever closer to you, more deeply in relationship with you. We're finding our refuge in you. We're finding our strength in you, no matter what our particular situation may be. And we all have situations, as you well know. So thank you for being our God. Thank you for being there, especially when we need you most. And help us never to take you for granted. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to have a final hymn. We'll all stand for that. And then I'll close services with a benediction at the end of the, of the song. <laughs>